1: We are here with this year's Emmy nominee, Jeff Goldblum, who is up for Outstanding Hosted Nonfiction Series or Special for his Nat Geo and Disney Plus series, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, on Crew Call. Let's go way back to the beginning. You arrive in New York City, 1969, 17 years.
0: Yeah, let's call it 70, I think, yeah. Okay. That's right
1: you're 17, do you go straight into the neighborhood playhouse or is that a hard place to break into?
0: Oh no, Uh, uh, well, it may be hard, but um, as luck had it, um, I, I failed to get into my first and only choice, which was Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, where I'd gone to a couple of summer sessions, and they'd encouraged me to come audition for the school. I did a bad audition. I didn't know myself at all. I'm sure it was bad. Uh, nor could they see through uh, through it to see any any kind of flair whatsoever. I'm sure, and turned me down flat. And um, I was uh, in shock. And it was it was a chapter. It was uh, it was a transformational moment. And anyway, I found my way to New York City, and in a meeting with Sandy Meisner, we just met, he talked to me, and uh, even though I was too young for it, I lied about my age, believe it or not. And anyway, he took me, I got in, and then a few months later, he said, well, come up to the office, he called me in the middle of class, we're kicking you out, Uh, how old are you really? I said, well, you know, I know you gotta be 18, but I turned 18, you know, yeah, you know, in this first year, within the first year, I I wasn't when I started. Say, so, well, you got to, and then I followed him around, getting into a cab on the street, and I said, come on, you gotta, I'm 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 crazy about you and this and d-. and he let me back in. Anyway, that that's how I got in. I was there in 1970, the year right after I graduated high school.
1: I mean, this guy, you bring him up often in your interviews. This guy was really a mentor. Obviously, he was a legendary acting teacher. There are axioms he's left you with that you still talk about to this day. Yes. Can you can you tell us about just all the takeaways?
0: Well, here's the thing. Um, I at Carnegie Mellon University during you know between ninth and tenth and tenth eleventh grades, uh, there was a teacher there named Mordecai Lawner who had studied with him and then joined the staff after he graduated. He was teaching that, and then he came back to Pittsburgh where he was from or so no no he was from New York anyway he got into Carnegie Mellon University and I took he was one of my teachers so I was introduced to this method so-called of his sort of improvisation and this working off of business that you probably heard something about anyway when I got to New York yes he was great his technique and his training methods were something that really stuck with me uh like I say this improvisation was a uh, it was a big part of it early on in the first year. It was a two-year program, and I later spent a couple of decades um, teaching it in order to really know it from the inside out, because I felt it was real important. And I loved craft, and I loved the classroom. Uh, but more than any of that, and I can tell you about some of the, some of the. Uh, big principles and credos that I sometimes uh, refer to, you know, use what exists and work off the other person and living truthfully under imaginary circumstances and, you know, uh, pretending, you know, and and playing and, cetera, and being present and being in the moment, going moment to moment. Uh, it's nothing so esoteric, really. All good actors who study from anybody good or who never study but are just talented and instinctive wind up doing something like that anyway. But I'll tell you, His essence and who he was then, because I think he was at, I I saw him during the couple of decades, uh, you know, at the end of these decades that were his peak. He hadn't yet had a laryngectomy. He was in full force and his presence, just his presence and the seriousness of what he was doing and his passion about it. Of course, he'd come from the You know, if any of your listeners want to study, he's, you know, the the group theaters where he came from, along with Sandy, along with Stella Adler and and, uh, Lee Strasberg, et cetera, et cetera, Harold Glurman. But he was my favorite of those. I was exposed to all of them. And the way he was in class was just real great. It just left you with, hey, this is not only worthwhile, it is deep, wise, life-enhancing important stuff potentially uh he was just a great masterful kind of guy you know
1: and i've heard you've also taught for a number of years yeah and it's so it's like you're giving
0: back well i uh, i guess so that's the that's the cliche and, and conventional and nice way to say it it didn't feel like to me any kind of uh uh, a charity work or sacrificial charity work of any kind. But I mean, it's a nice reciprocity. Well, it kind of is in an organic, so, so to speak, way, because like I say, I really wanted to learn it from the inside out and go, hey, I, you know, I got to know what he was getting at so I could communicate it so I know it for myself more clearly. But within that, like I say, I love the classroom and I did get a big bang out of actually trying to impact the studies and the lives of other people, students, it's a healthy thing to do. And it's a fun thing to do. And for me, just not only educational, but wildly stimulating, I would go home and I couldn't stop thinking, geez, how about this person and that person? What can I tell them? And ah, I'd never articulated it in this way before, and now I understand it better myself, et cetera, et cetera. And I would act with them, it was a chance to, I hope I was, it was good for them, but I, I played with them a lot. Anyway, I loved it. So then
1: I'm looking at your resume and your film career, even though they were small parts, you were on fire from the moment. Charles Bronson's Death Wish, two back-to-back Robert Altman films, Nashville and California Split, how did that all happen? Was that all off of you being on Broadway? I mean, what an amazing roll of the dice.
0: It was a roll of dice. You're absolutely right. And just a lucky, miraculous series of breaks that, unlike most people's stories in a very uncommon way, I clicked from the beginning. I kind of fell into this Two Gentlemen of Verona musical that was the biggest hit up until then that the Shakespeare Festival had ever had. So I worked with Joe Papp and, you know, all the people there and Raul Julia was that show. That was fantastic. And then I studied more. I finished up this more study with uh, William Esberg, who's a great acting teacher. You've heard Sam Rockwell and different people talk about him. He was wonderful. Uh, and then went out and said, gee, I guess I got to try to get a job at this. And the first thing I went up for was El Grande de Coca-Cola, this off-Broadway kind of review show that was suited for me this part and showed me off um an agent saw me that started to send me up for things the first movie that he sent me up for was Death Wish I improvised and auditioned with a bunch of other people in um, Columbus Circle in the middle of Manhattan and I got it and it went on to be um not the most highly esteemed critical uh, uh uh offering but a big hit and I had a fantastic time for those few days or week on the set and then Robert Altman saw me in that El Grande de Coca-Cola not only that agent but he called me up after seeing that and said uh, you want to be in this movie California Split so they flew me out to California I did this small part in this movie that's very good I've seen it recently I think it's really uh it was Altman during his very fertile heyday and uh and Elliot Gould and George Siegel are terrific in it. I have, a, I have a, a scene or two in it and had a great time doing that. And then he said, Hey, if I like you and you like me, come to Nashville this summer and we'll do this movie, Nashville, which was, according to many, his high watermark uh, entirely. And that was a transformational and spectacular experience. And then uh, I went out to, to back to California where, where I now moved. No, I moved right after that, right along with that. And then, you know, got in. You know, a couple of interesting movies, including Between the Lines and Next Stop Greenwich Village with Paul Mazursky. worked with interesting directors and then very soon was with uh, Philip Kaufman in 78 in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So it just kind of kept on from there, you know. Was there a particular
1: casting director that made a difference in your career? And I ask this because back in college, my professor was close with Marion Doherty. And so that was my window into Marion Doherty. And I know that she made a big difference. First of all, she was a big mother hen and influencer for casting directors and how casting directing is done and the caring of actors. But she also, she made the difference for, you know, John Voight and Robert Redford and worked early on with Richard Donner. I'm curious if there was someone like that
0: in your career. Uh, You know, uh, Marion. Doherty. I, I saw that. You You must have seen that documentary about her. My
1: byline, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah.
0: I loved it, of course. And she changed the way uh, casting uh, directors are credited on screen, mm-hmm. uh, you remember. But she was very uh, important and so interesting and talented and gifted. I guess I must have uh, crossed paths with her around 75 in this little part that I had. But um. No, it. I, I think that's the only time I had anything to do with her, unfortunately. And I can't think of another casting person. I mean, you know, Vinnie Gugliotti was the person. If anybody remembers that name, who was there at the at the Shakespeare Festival, who got me in that first thing. Uh, let's see. No, that's about. Yeah, I. That, that, I don't think there was a casting director part of this uh, story in my mind.
1: But in your evolution as an actor. Did anyone ever say to you, hey, you're tall, you're funny, you're great with this. When you're building yourself as an actor, it's like you're good for certain parts, you're not good for other parts, and that's not a bad thing. I'm just curious. And you've been able to go, you've been able to go between dark and funny. Was anyone ever guiding you because you just rolled and rolled and rolled? I mean, even in the 80s, you had, you had Peaks, like The Fly, and then there's Transylvania 6, 5, 000, but you kept going. And just curious, your philosophy of self as an actor, was there ever that, or was it just, hey, let's see what I can get?
0: I think without, you know, uh, patting myself on the back or robbing anybody else of credit, because um, uh, everybody helped along the way. I mean, everybody involved in every movie, Robert Altman, da, 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 you know, uh, you know, saw something, believed in me. I remember being on the set with Phil Kaufman in 78, like I mentioned, and uh, doing something and through his eyes, seeing myself in a clearer and more developed way and kind of getting familiar with myself. But there wasn't anyone who really articulated or who I had on my team uh, who articulated and said. This is who you are, or could be, and here's what we want to do. And there was nothing so strategic through Sandy Meisner and my own instincts that were very, you know, primitive and sometimes misguided. But I had some seeds of wisdom planted by some good people, including Sandy Meisner. Uh, so I kind of had this idea that I wanted to keep trying to find myself, and that it took 20 years to find your voice and to even call yourself an actor of continual work uh, before you could say I'm an actor. And luckily these parts were smallish and I couldn't mess up too badly. And I kind of felt like I was still in training. So it was just me that kind of, and the luck of uh, the people with whom I came in contact that kind of guided the thing. Cause I, I remember an agent early on who said, who said you know Jeff Goldblum geez I saw you in that death wish you know if you changed your name to Gonzalez or Hernandez you know you could get a lot a few other you know bad guy parts you know I think we could help you like that and I said yeah I I don't think so you know so so I kind of held my my convictions a little bit even against the tide sometimes uh you know and that's the way it went. <laughs> I just lucked, I just lucked out, I'm telling you. So
1: coming to the world according to Jeff Goldblum in rewatching this again, I'm like this is so much more than a travel series or man on the street. This is also a little bio series about you. There's a lot of you sprinkled in this birthday footage of you, footage of your parents dancing, your philosophy of life. Was that always embedded into this from the onset?
0: Uh, Not always, but uh, early on in our conversations, like I say, those people at Nat Geo and Newtopia were very smart and generous, and we started to talk collaboratively. Uh, But early on, I said, and then more clearly as we went, on and made our way through the first season, I said, you know, I think these shows, uh, and I'm not shy about making them kind of about me too, throughout the course, through the course of kind of investigating these interesting things in the world in which I'm interested and about which I'm curious and discovering portals into larger questions and strange, exciting secrets and uh, facts. I, I, I wouldn't mind re- revealing myself in these Um in a way that works for the whole little half hour story. Cause I've had these home movies that I've had up my sleeve. And I always imagined, Hey, I, you know I think I'd like to make movies somehow and I'll bet we could include these, you know, Uh, somehow. And I had done documentaries. I'd tried my hand at doing this movie called Pittsburgh which is a little bit using my own family. And I'd done some research footage that was even more revelatory and embarrassing, and not to be seen. Uh, but, you know, I I, I I don't mind for the purposes of a kind of a hybrid parallel universe where Jeff Goldblum is a character in which uh, you can't maybe tell what's fact or fiction, but in which I, I'm actually, you know, using some of the, the raw and literal stuff that uh, that brought me up. I mean, I've enjoyed movies like I'm not comparing myself to this, but, you know, Bertolucci's uh, Last Tango in Paris, where some of those scenes in some of those scenes, Brando supposedly is improvising and talking about his real father and his experiences. And they're the most electrifying and sort of interesting. And I've always thought, hey, let's do something like that. You know, so anyway, it's it's followed along that path and it developed, uh, you know, um, consciously and intentionally uh, along some of those lines. Well, we won't tell the Disney executives that you're
1: going full
0: on Last Tango in Paris in the
1: next episode, okay?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to do the next episode. One of them is about butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: going there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I
0: know. I can read your mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With the
1: Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere With these episodes, the other thing that's also intriguing, and I mean this in a very good way, are the stunts. So like, for example, in the birthday episode, you're walking on hot coals. And again, organically, do you and your producers have a discussion of, hey, what can we do with Jeff Goldblum that would be fun? You know, what kind of safe scenario could we put him in? And again, organic, not stunt for stunt's sake. Is there a continual discussion about that?
0: Uh, Yes, continual. But at some point, uh, I like to be surprised and I let them kind of take over after, you know, I'd given them my riffs and kind of free associations on my history with feelings about curiosities about one subject or another, whatever we're we're doing. But then they say, well, how about this? Here's what we're thinking of about these three sequences, uh, you know, one of which is has you climbing a tree or going on a zip line or what was it walking along walking on hot coals or something and i would say okay okay you know they so they would ask and should we go further with this and and so it would go like that and then uh, and we'd all agree about yeah those those are the main uh the sequences sound right r- sound like uh the right ideas and then they would cast it figure it all out And then I'd, I'd show up on the day but i wouldn't tell them nor would i have a fully developed feeling about uh the whole thing uh, you know, prior to the to the thing it, I would discover on camera, hopefully, and it kind of worked out this way oftentimes, uh, on camera while they were just shooting me, as I was musing and kind of trying to process my experience and put together my thoughts about uh, you know what I might feel about this thing that's that's when it really came to full fruition. so you know and that was our intent too let's not pre let's not put it in tupperware let's not figure it out all beforehand let me let me let's turn on the the juice let's turn on the camera and see if you can catch me actually coming up with how i feel about this thing and my experience about the whole thing you know uh that's better cetera, et cetera. it's kind of like that
1: now how long does this take to shoot a season? Do you set aside six months of your schedule or do you sprinkle this in like, okay, it's the second weekend in March, I'm going to Atlanta to shoot an episode?
0: Uh, it was, if I remember correctly, the first season was a little different. There was a kind of block that we had and it was, became longer than I had anticipated originally. It was not, uh, it was not insubstantial this calendar. Uh, uh, But to my delight, I like going all over the place and doing these things. Uh, It felt like a good use of my energies and time. The second season um, uh, occurred in concordance, is that the right uh, word, with COVID. So, you know, it was kind of, hey, where, uh uh-oh, California this month seems to be coming up in the next month or two, uh, a bad place. Maybe we should switch the whole thing to Atlanta. And then, oh, you're going off to do blah, 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 one movie or another. For some reason, I kept getting opportunities to work during that period. So we, yes, sprinkled it in and coordinated it over a longer period of time, even, uh, and figured out how to do it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, I am not done talking about Jeff Goldblum.
0: <laughs>
1: I want to go back to your career when you look back was there a particular film or films obviously jurassic park you know took you through a whole other decade but was it you know invasion of the body snatchers that changed it for you or was it invasion and big chill and fly I'm, I'm just wondering when you look back and you look at the the things
0: that just propelled you.
1: Would you agree with that? With those benchmarks?
0: Seems like it. You know, um, uh, now there's a there's a enough of us enough of a chance for us to look back and to sort of devise backwards to forwards the whole story. Uh, yeah, you know, we could say that we could point to several of the ones that you talked about, and you know, as being you know landmarks that seem to open up. Opportunities to the next thing. And, you know, I mean, I guess we really don't know for sure. And there are so many moving parts there that how do you really know? But yeah, we could say, yeah, Jurassic and the fly and the big chill and da 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 da. And uh, one thing led to a- another. Uh, yeah, lo- lo- like that. But, you know, but sometimes from the inside out at the moment, it doesn't necessarily feel to me, has not always felt to me as if wow something has changed <laughs> you know it kind of never feels like that including you know this last jurassic world dominion movie you know made uh, is is now it's made what 950 or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, but you would be surprised I'll bet to know that i mean on one hand my manager says hey i think this is a you know you've you're sort of uh, come to the attention Uh, 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 you know, of one person or another. And I think we're going to get some opportunities and some more scripts are coming in. It seems like, you know, during this period, but on the other hand, you might be surprised that I, I I don't get, you know, it's not that I don't have friends or people with whom I'm close, but I didn't get any calls (laughs) or Annie, it's as if it never happened. And then even amongst my, you know, bandmates, you know, maybe one person says, hey, yeah, I saw that. Hey, how about that? Besides that, as if it, as if it didn't happen. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, like that. Uh, and even fans who come up and with kids, I'm here shooting, i mean, in Europe shooting this thing, with p- kids, parents with kids come up and say, uh, Hey, we love you in Jurassic Park. I said, hey, did you see this last one? Yeah, yeah, we loved it. And, you know, <laughs> But it's not as if it, uh, you know, feels like it uh, has changed anything. You know it's not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the tall guy? Okay, conversation over. Conversation well, over. <laughs> well, you'd
0: think, you'd think, but uh, some people, you know, I never know who's going to come up and say, hey, you know what? My favorite thing was Igby goes down or, you know, buckaroo bonsai or, you know, uh, and I'm always surprised.
1: Obviously, Sandy Meisner, big mentor to you. When you got here to Hollywood, was there another mentor? Were there other mentors, whether they were filmmakers or an older actor, you know, that was just, you know, kind of your Sherpa? Uh,
0: well, I'd say Robert Altman early on, you know, when, in mm. my 20s. He was somebody who I, in my mind, you know, latched on to thinking, wow, I'm lucky and, and I was to have. You know, cross paths with this guy, and wow, what a whole world view and way of making movies he's got, and that, that was wonderful. Uh, Phil Kaufman too, I did these couple of movies with. Um, uh, but and then I kept studying. You know, I I found myself in Peggy Fury's class, and Sean Penn was in that school, and my friend Bruno Kirby was in that school, and Annette O'Toole, and I had a great time doing that, and it was very fertile and educational I love that and let's see what what else yeah you know along the way also I was I was hungry to keep keep advancing like Sandy Meisner had, had said you know not only the 20 years you know after you leave here may, maybe you'll call yourself an actor but if you're lucky you'll keep getting opportunities and then for your whole life you can keep progressing you know that was my that was my uh, blueprint so Buckaroo
1: Banzai, what a favorite film of mine and, and oh, an interesting really? film because I'll never forget, I opened up a comic book and that was the first time I saw the advertisement for it. I lived in Vermont. It did get to Vermont. It did actually get to, to screens in Vermont, but I know it didn't do well, but it went on to have like a lot of great 80s films have this great cult life, you know, thank God for video has anyone ever approached you about a reboot of it? Or, I mean, you would think now is the, the time is prime and streaming to do either another film or a series or something. Has that ever come up?
0: Um, it has not. I don't know if anybody mentioned it to anybody else or on my team or if there's been, you know, somebody may supply, you know, some more information about that. But no, uh, to my ears, there's never been, within my ear range, there's never been any talk about that. No, I think it's because if it 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 wound up not doing as well, but I get people who are crazy about it, and uh, and Wes Anderson, with whom I've uh, worked a few times, luckily, um, I think was a fan of that. And if you if you notice uh, the first movie I did with him, uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve yep. Zissou, the the bow sequence is a little bit of uh, an homage to the bow sequence musical parade. At the end of the credits of Buck Banzai, ga, 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 ga. and then, of course, I'm thinking about Earl MacRouch and uh, W. D. Richter, who wrote and directed it, respectively. They were interesting, and they had uh, uh, follow-ups up their sleeve, and uh, but never never came to pass, you know. And then, of course, Peter Weller was Buck Banzai himself, and we—he's responsible for us starting that band together, uh, which I still sort of, you know. Uh, you know carry on with now
1: is he does he still perform with you
0: he hasn't in a while he's he's a multi-talented and gifted person he's he has a place in not only new orleans but positano and he's a he's a master and i think teacher of art history and directs and da da, da, da. so no he hasn't been around our our little group uh, doing one thing or another for a while but i'm in touch with him he's great now Jumping from Altman all the way over to Wes
1: Anderson and Taika, are these guys, are they soulmates in terms of the way that they deal with an improv master such as yourself? Or is Wes someone who's more by the book, meaning more by, more strictly by the script?
0: Yes. I'm no master of any kind. I'm still a humble student. Um, But uh, yeah, those are two different uh, ends of the spectrum, in my experience. Uh, Wes Anderson, whom I adore, who's a genius, um, is very much like uh, what I hear about the Cohen brothers, with whom I'd love to work, and, uh, and other people. You know, If you do you know, David Mamet or plays of any kind, you've got to do what they ask for verbatim. And likewise, Wes Anderson, by the time you get the script, which is not only beautifully and meticulously crafted text-wise and dialogue-wise, but in his description of the visuals, as you can imagine. So you just put yourself into that thing, and then within that, it's my experience that he loves actors, and within those confines, it's a very beautiful, free, creative experience, Uh, uh, believe it or not. Uh, With Taika Waititi, who's also brilliant, um, uh, uh, when I've worked with him for a little bit, It was pure, you know, we did the script, you know, but then went far afield and just played around and bounced off of each other and and, uh, played with ideas and came up with crazy stuff. And I, I did adore that too.
1: Are you allowed to say, if we'll see you again in the Marvel universe or do they have you under a lock and key where you can't even say what you had for breakfast on set?
0: No, I, I'm not imprisoned in any way. Nobody holds me down, man. Nobody no, but puts I mean, baby in a no, corner. No,
1: will we see you again? That's the that's the question. Yes. You're not yes. allowed no. to tell me the answer. I'm just seeing if you can answer the question.
0: <laughs> Nobody puts baby in a corner. But um the uh I so I would tell you if I knew, or maybe they would tell me if there was an answer to it, but I don't know the answer to it. So <laughs> I, I I can't tell you any more than I know, which is because I don't know it. <laughs> I hope so. What a wonderful world uh, and experience that I've had uh, with them, you know. Well, Jeff Goldblum, the executive
1: producer and the host of The World According to Jeff Goldblum, I can't thank you enough.
0: I can't thank you enough. The gratitude is all on my side. How about that, Dr. D'Alessandro? Thank you. Thanks
1: for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.